Morgan Joseph is an associate director with Gallagher, an insurance broker operating in the United Kingdom. He began his journey by allowing the winds of opportunity to take him further and further away from his home of Cebu. First, when he decided to get educated in Manila, and again, when the opportunity came for a short internship in the UK. He is on the path towards trying to underwrite risks in Asia, and wants to be a practice leader in that space. In today's episode, we talk about his journey away from home, what a career in insurance looks like, and derivatives. Morgan, welcome to my podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Okay, uh, Morgan, for the benefit of the listeners, do you mind uh, introducing yourself so that they can get a feel for who you are? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I'm I'm Morgan Joseph. I grew up in Cebu, went to University Ateneo. I moved to London in 2016 for an internship uh, in, in the insurance industry. I went on to work in operations as an operations manager. And February of last year, I made the switch to insurance broking. So I work primarily in the mining and heavy industry teams. And, you know, I'm part of a small, young, dynamic team that's trying to become the practice leader across a global company. So um, I live, yeah, I've settled in London. I'm engaged. I, I plan to be here for the next, for the foreseeable future, really. So, yeah, thanks for having me, Rami. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, it's actually really interesting now that you began your journey, like, uh, into this insurance industry. You actually have a background in insurance now. I think your family is very heavily involved with uh, Phil Insure's operation here in Cebu. So, uh, hoping that we can touch on a lot of other things to, that have a lot to do with insurance. But before sure. we go into that, though, you presumably wanted to enter into your family business, but you wound up taking this journey, which took you on an internship uh, to the UK and then eventually finding a life there. Uh, what made you decide to go that route? Yeah, so, well, the first thing is that I never really wanted to do insurance. You know, growing up, I thought, um, I saw my dad um, always traveling, always busy. And I told myself, oh, I'm never going to do insurance. It looks so boring. It looks so stressful. I'm never going to do it. And then along comes my last year of university. And I was like, what am I going to do? And so I thought, you know, working for the family business for a while would be, you know, a good option while I figured it out. And in the course of like deciding that the opportunity to go abroad um, came up and I figured, you know, how many people um, from the Philippines are able to go abroad before falling into the family business, right? So I thought, you know, why not try to see what I can gain from an international perspective? Um, and I thought, you know, this internship was with a, was with a partner broker, an international partner broker of, of Phil Insure. So I decided, you know, make some connections, learn a little bit, see how the industry works and take back uh, what I can to the Philippines. Uh, initially, you know, it was it was only going to be like a, like a six week, eight week internship, um, and, and I I didn't plan on on doing any more. But but the opportunity for work came up for permanent work, and you know I spoke to my dad and said you know I'll do this you know for a year. Let's see let's see what happens. And I ended up staying. So it's it, it was a bit of an odd choice because you know I think my dad was also very ready for me to come join the family business, um, and I didn't ever see myself moving abroad and living away from the Philippines. So it was a bit of an, it was a bit of a difficult decision for me, but I think so far it's really paid off. I mean, things are very different to what they could be, um, but I feel like I've found a niche for myself where I'm working, you know, I'm working based on my, on, on my own skills rather than my name, which, which I, you know, for an ego, from an ego point of view is, is quite, quite nice. And it also gives me the ground up experience I might not have received at home. So I think, you know, it's been a good journey so far. Mm. It's actually really hard, you know, when you have like that family business background. Yeah. So uh, like me personally, like I'm a lawyer uh, and like uh, the salary that you can potentially make from being a lawyer is not so much like the family business kind of blows it out of the water, if you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so like I'm, I'm finding myself in this weird position where you have to like balance the two, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, but in your case, like, I guess it was important for you to like strike out on your own and be successful. What, what was that process like? Because I, I, I can imagine huh? like it might have been difficult coming all the way from the Philippines and going straight to the UK, right? Presumably, yeah. they never even heard of Ateneo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so uh, like, you know, I, I, I like to say that I, I, I struck out on my own, which is, you know, quite fair. But the, the internship opportunity came about because of a fa family. So this was someone that my dad knew who um, had been an intern at this company like 40 years ago 
And now that he was reaching the twilight of his career, he figured he would do the same, like give other people around the world the same opportunity. So there are only five of us, you know, this is a major, like the fourth largest broker in the world. And they only had four interns in, in their London office. So I really, and all of us were somehow related, you know, one was the son of a client and two were children of people who work there and me, who was the son of a, of a, like a partner around the world. So it, it was, it was, a, a, I like to think I struck out on my own, but the connections really were the ones who got me there. And I completely agree, you know, working in the family business by now, I'd be earning so much more money and have a much more comfortable, um, comfortable life, but just the satisfaction of, of, of doing it, you know, I, it, it, that's what keeps me going. Just satisfied that every day is a challenge. Every day I, I you know, I deserve to be there. So that, that really gets me going, but it, it was tough to apply. I mean, I had, I did phone interviews. I did, um, I had to put together my first CV um, and I was doing calls with these people. Like the, the guy himself was was in was in the U.S. and because of the timing, he was always driving to work when I spoke to him. And the HR partner was German and had this really <laughs> strong German accent. I was like, "What is going? Like, what am I doing?" Um, I was there, my my old like dingy condo across Ateneo, just thinking like, "Why are these people speaking to me? This is just absurd." <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, like it, it's actually really funny, like uh, the the way that the way that the direction that life often takes you. It's yeah. it it like me as a lawyer. It's particularly surreal because sometimes I'll review a contract and then like you know I give my legal opinion on the contract and I'm like that's a contract that contemplates like half a billion pesos mm-hmm. and I'm like, dang, like I had involvement in that and so like mm-hmm. you know especially when you're young and you're hungry for opportunity, you yeah. can you'd be surprised at the things you'll find for yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your point where, you know, as, as a young person, as a young professional starting out, like ambition and, and your your drive to do things just really brings you to places that you never would have expected. Because, you know, I never wanted to work in operations. I never wanted to work in insurance, but the opportunities presented themselves. And I thought, you know what? Why not? Let's let's do this. Let's let's embrace this with open arms. Let's live abroad. You know, let's let's com- to completely change our life and what we thought it would be. So I think it's it's exciting, you know. Now things are settling down, but it was more it was really exciting for a few years there. Uh so what is what is it like though? Like what is the like the standard of living difference that exists between Cebu and London? Like how does your life differ now? So <laughs> the, the obvious ones everything's so much more expensive here. It's uh you know, it's it's hard to <laughs> it's so expensive. Um I think I think one of the main differences is really cultural. I mean, look, you could talk about like, you know, first world amenities and first world uh, convenience and all of that, but I think the the main thing is really really cultural. In the Philippines, it's a much more, especially in Cebu, you know, it feels like it's it's my hometown. You know, it feels like a much smaller community than it probably is. You know, people. You know, you know, every, you know, when, whenever anything opens, you know it. And I think living in in London, the first few years in particular were really really difficult. I, I had a very, very hard time adjusting. In fact, you know, I almost did come home uh, at the end of 2016. I thought, you know, I can't do this. Uh, the city is way too big for me. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. Um, but I think the cultural thing is, is, is what really got me because the English people are quite like the Philippines. They're friendly, but unlike the Filipinos, they're not very warm. So it was isolating. You know, it was, it was very, it was a weird cultural divide at work where I was the Asian guy. And you know, as such, work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, outside, <laughs> and outside of work, I was the Asian guy and couldn't, you know, drink as much as everyone else. I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't talk about the same things that they talked about. You know, um, insure, the insurance industry is full of people, posh people, and with with pinky rings, talking about, you know, their weekends at the at the car festival or at the races. And it was just a bit like isolating. Um, and you know, again, different conveniences. Public transport's excellent here. Whatever you want to do, you'll find it. But again, it's just more expensive, and it took me a while to find my feet with the British culture. Though it's they're they're very very odd, sort very charming, very endearing people. But but it was odd to get to get a hang of. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange, you know, that uh, you know you, you, there's this general divide, like because you know like me if I look at you. No, no offense. Like yeah, you're a fine. white guy, man. <laughs> I, I'm so white. See, that's the thing. It's, so, it's weird that. <laughs> It's so weird that suddenly you're Asian to them. I'm like, yeah. that's so weird. <laughs> it's it's okay. hilarious. Like when I do okay, something um, wrong, when I do something wrong in the office, there was a joke with my old boss because we were quite close. So like, oh, it's okay, don't worry. English isn't your first language. I'm like, yes, it is. I'm, look at me. It was a uh, so <laughs> odd. 
okay. Now that we know like a little bit about you, like uh, let's let's talk a little bit about insurance. So, sure, uh, Morgan, what is insurance for the for the uninitiated? So uh, most people know insurance because of their car, because of their house. But it, so essentially, what insurance is is that it's protecting your assets against loss, your assets or your reputation or your income. Um, it's essentially a mechanism of risk transfer where the where the risk of a loss of any kind is passed on from yourself or your company to an insurance broker and insurance company. Um, you know, this is essentially almost everything can be insured. And um, it can be as simple as, you know, insuring your car to be as complicated as insuring your third party liability when, you know, your building collapses and kills a few people. It's it's quite it's quite a broad field. It is um it's yeah, it's, it's essentially it, a lot of it goes um, a lot of it acts upon like the tort of negligence, as, as you can imagine. So a lot of um, mm-hmm. issues are are raised because of negligence and a lot of the protections are against that. Um, but yeah, it's it's risk transfer mm-hmm. in, in the most basic sense where um, you pay into a fund, which the insurance company holds, mm-hmm. and it uses the payments of the many to cover the losses of the few. So a lot of people think, you know, insurance can be a scam. You're paying for something that might not happen, but it's always there for that what if scenario. And um, the, the company I work for, the CEO has, has an excellent saying, which I, I always really appreciate, which is we are the first per people to help a company or people to, co- to put their lives back together. Um, when faced with a catastrophic loss without insurance, you have to rebuild by yourself. You have to get loans. You have to, you know, essentially build up from the ashes. With insurance, at least a portion of that is, is accounted for and a portion of that is, you know, put back to, to putting you where you are. So it's risk transfer to make sure that in the case of any disaster, whether personal or professional, you will um, you'll be able to come back and you'll be able to restart and get your assets back or at least the monetary value. Mm. Well, that's actually something that's that's kind of strange, no? Because like me personally, like I had a lot of friends mm-hmm. who went into the investment banking space. So they either uh, broker bonds or mm-hmm. uh, they help with in- initial public offerings. And then I realized though that like given what I know about the law, insurance is probably just as big of a product category in the way of like mm-hmm. financial products. Yeah, it's not not often spoken about because it's it's not as sexy as investment banking. No. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, so uh, if you could uh, maybe break it down, like how big mm-hmm. of an industry insurance is, and sure. like maybe maybe also tell us how much it costs, uh, mm-hmm. like how, what percentage of a company's expenses is usually uh, spent put towards insurance. So it, you know, I agree that's not as, as as sexy, and because a lot of the time it, it operates in the background, right? So it's only the financial officers and the financial team that really deal with that, uh, rather than you know, it's not it's not high flying, high trading kind of risk stuff. But um, it is it does account for a significant portion of uh, GDP, for example. So uh, certain uh, first world countries, it accounts to f- almost nine percent of of the GDP of the country. Um, in the Philippines, for example, um, because of the pandemic and because the, go- the economy has slowed down, it accounts for two point three percent of of the GDP. Um, as the what proportion of the operating expenses it it occupies that's very dependent on class and size of business. So, for example, um, a regular shop would probably be a very small percent of operating expenses. Let's say you know five percent or less. But with a large, like for example, big mining company with multiple dams and you know deep underground works, it can be up to like fifteen. It's it's really a there's there's a big range and it's very heavily dependent on the risk, on the location on the type of program they're putting together. It's it's a very varied thing. And that's that's what makes conversations with clients quite difficult because um, you know, some of them think they should be paying less. Well, most of them, all of them, if I'm honest, think that they should be paying less. Um, but there are certain inherent risk factors within certain industries that, that just necessitate a higher payment of premium. Because again, when you're putting everything into a common fund, um, each insurer has their own way of weighting different risks, and therefore those that they believe are more risky should be paying in more, dis- you know, regardless of how big or small they are. 
So um, one of the one of the real limitations on the ability of insurers is the size of the funds. So like actually one of the what, like a, a particular thinker that I like to follow is Warren Buffett, and apparently they're one of the largest insurers in the United States, Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Uh, because of like how cash rich they are, so that they're capable of insuring things that other people wouldn't mm-hmm. touch uh, because yeah. of the inter- incredibly a large amount of resources at their disposal. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think in our email exchange prior to the podcast, you told me that you worked in a company that was recently acquired. So, mm-hmm. uh, is that is 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 the industry consolidating? Is that like what what's going on there? Like, because so, you notice that insurers are getting progressively larger. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. So um, yeah. Just to clarify, I work in the insurance broking space as compared to the uh, as as compared to an insurance company. So the insurance company is the ones who actually. Uh, put out the capital for risk and and take take the risks from the from their clients. Insurance brokers are the are the middleman who tries to represent uh, the insured in the best way possible. Uh, that being said, um, the insurance industry, particularly in London, for um, has not been profitable, and the insurance industry around the world has not been profitable. In fact, many insurance companies in London were making a profit from their investments and not from their insurance, the core business of insurance. So. There has been a lot of change in the last few years where, again, small insurance insurance companies and underwriters were being bought by larger ones to create an amalgamation, um, which, you know, is both problematic and both, uh, you know, it, it's problematic and there's also opportunity there. Problematic because obviously options are limited, but it's there also um, a lot of possibilities because a lot of the smaller bro- uh, insurers being bought are those with specialist capabilities. So now, you know, clients and insurance brokers, because they're with, they've been folded into larger companies, um, have more access to them because they do have the relationships. In terms of the company that I was in, um, if you look at the top 25 insurance brokers in the world from like 25 years ago, only four of them are left because they've all been bought, they've all closed or, or merged or whatever. And again, it's the same thing. Um, now that insurance brokers are becoming bigger, they have more leverage against the larger insurers. You know, relationships are so much are so much more important. So insurers are willing to cut special facility deals. Um, you know, have certain trade targets, and if they're hit, you know, premiums are reduced. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunities there, um, and that also feeds back to the to the end insured because if, for example, there's more leverage because the insur- insurance broker is more powerful against the insurer there's the ability to get better deals for the clients. The other side of that, again, of course, is that, mm. you know, when you when you create these large mega companies, eventually competition just stops mattering, right? It's, it's, just, it's, it's just the way things work. Smaller brokers will just get pushed out of the market or bought, and it'll always be the same three or four players, which, you know, limits client choice. It's, it's just the way it works. But I personally, I believe that it's 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 a good thing because you now get all these relationships and you get all this tech from these smaller insurance brokers and integrate it into your wider system, which is what my my first role was to integrate all of those three companies into one so that we can create the best system for our clients. Um, but it's it is it is a trend. It's always been how the ind- industry has operated. They've, there's always been purchases. And in fact, I know quite a few people who said, one day I'm going to start an insurance broker and sell myself to the big three, because that's the way to really make money in insurance. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 a double-edged mm-hmm. sword, like, like all things. You know, they're, they're the benefits, again, of uh, greater negotiating power, greater access to facilities, greater access to products, but also um, you're just losing options. So it's it's a double-edged sword, really, but it's the way the industry is operating. There always will be new players coming up. Mm. What what kind of... So when when an, when an insurer mm. collects premiums, like usually that's uh, sent through the, the insurance broker, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, what kind of things do they typically invest in? Right, And this, right. this will help for some discussion we're going to have later on. Yep. Yeah, so everything, really. They, they invest in, in pension schemes, they invest in regular stocks, they invest in derivatives, they invest in bonds. These in insurance, the insurance investing side is completely, it's essentially like you're doing, like you're working in an investment bank, essentially. So this that's what they do. They invest in uh, property. It's just a whole scheme, a whole slew of things which they invest in. Because again, underwriting, insuring, one big loss, you know, one big uh, hurricane in the U.S. can wipe out your profits for the year, 
So without money, they really they have to stay liquid to a certain extent to cover their lo- a certain percentage of their losses. But that's really a major way for them to make money. It's not the way that they should be making money because primarily they're an insurance company. But it's the way that a lot of them have been making money, especially since rates have been so low recently that they've, you know, everything really high, high risk, low risk, um, long term kind of stocks and bonds and derivatives and all of that. Uh, you and I both came from a similar management background, which was very mm-hmm. generalist. Uh, you know, the, the joke in college was like, well, I know a little bit of everything and I am good at <laughs> none of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I can imagine, though, that you're you're not very generalist in your day-to-day functions in the way that you, you do your work. Like, so if you could, like, maybe walk us through what a day in the office looks like for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am doing, you know, when I, when I tried to get into the broking space, because like I said, I was in operations before, that was very generalist and that I could use what we learned in, in college. Um, but when I moved to the insurance broking space, um, particularly with um, the kind of high value assets that I work with, I felt like I had to put on an engineer's hat. You know, my first, like I, I normally spend my time reading engineering reports or groundwater reports or, um, you know, risk recommendation updates and risk management reports and all of that. It's that's usually how the day starts, just to keep myself abreast of what's going on. Um, and then it's it's just negotiation for most of the day, uh, if I'm honest, because we I, I, I'm, I'm in a team of four people. So there's always something to do and there's always a client that's about to renew. There's always a change to, to a policy that needs to be made. And it's just negotiating. So I call up an insurer or I go see them when I can. And I just say, look, these are this is what we're looking for. This is the this is what's changed over the last few months. These are the risk factors. This is how it's improved. We're targeting this kind of premium. And then it's just a process of negotiation, right? Because it's very rare to say, okay, we agree with your premium. So, you know, it's it's about getting the information, putting it in a way that highlights the, the, the positives and also frames the negatives in such a way that can show how these negatives are being addressed. Start with the negotiation and then speak to the client and say, this is what we have. We will continue to try. Are you open to doing these options instead? So it's it's really a um, the way I like to think about insurance is a very technical, but it's also a very personal business because you need to know you need to know what you're talking about. If you go in front of an insurer and say, "Hey, look, I want you to give me this price for this," and you you're not able to give a reason, they're going to laugh you out the building. But at the same time, um, you also need to be very personal because. You know, like in all negotiations, character and, and and personality just helps you get through. If you have a relationship with these people, they can, you know, both of you can bend certain ways depending on on you know on the way the wind blows. So the day in the office is engineering reports, spreadsheets to check numbers, uh, going to insurers and trying to get you get the best deal that you can, and then going back to your clients and uh, giving them the results and and you know talking through the process with them. And, you know, because we're in London, some drinks afterwards, it's always, um, it's, a, it's, it's like a never ending cycle. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's actually one of the things that's like strange. Uh, like I think it, like in any service industry, mm-hmm. uh, well, in your, in your case, it's like financial products, but arguably you perform a service because it's uh, mm-hmm. you're an insurance broker. No, yeah. uh, it, it, they, they want to establish that kind of rapport with you. There's that human need to like, oh, I need mm-hmm. to be getting one up on this guy. And so like usually mm-hmm. the way that is accomplished is, you know, they ply you with drinks, they buy you food. Like as yeah. a lawyer, it's one of the weirdest things where like people will... <laughs> Like people will like will will get mad at me like mm-hmm. uh like like oh why are you billing me hourly like that's not our <laughs> that's not our agreement and then like yeah. but they'll spend like a, a crap ton of money to feed me in like some yeah. cafe somewhere and I'm like well, like why don't why can't I just bill you and then like it's a bit more it's a bit more structured of an interaction yeah. uh, I don't I, I don't I don't personally understand it yeah I I mean here it's such here it's such a big um, thing it's 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 really um it's it's the reputation that London has you know I've had I've heard stories from my colleagues who've had been having drinks in their suits with insurers like on a Wednesday, on a Wednesday afternoon at like 2 p.m. and tourists <laughs> coming around and taking photos of them because they're like, this doesn't happen. <laughs> this shouldn't happen. Um, but it, it is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny. But I think one of the things that like tends to get lost is the fact that if you went purely by um, just, if, if for example, you took out that entire social aspect of it, like many jobs where there's a social aspect, um, and you just went based on pure hard numbers and calculations, um, the client will usually not get the deal that they that they deserve. 
because a lot of times insurance insurers model for heavy you know heavy risks that's that's the way they do it they have to protect themselves and in fact you know um the the insurance market has been quote unquote hardening over the last two years which means rates are shooting up the wind up up you know rates are shooting up up to like 50 percent in certain mark in certain lines of insurance so the 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 personal aspect really as much as you know we laugh about it and have a good time about you know like Thursday, I was I was out of the office all afternoon because I was with an insurer. Um, but as much as we laugh about it, it's it's actually a really important thing because when you develop those relationships, especially with your key markets, you can get away with a lot more for your client. There's a lot of more back and forth, and there's a lot more openness to discussion, which is just it makes the world of difference. And that's that's our job as brokers. We're we're first, you know, trying to represent the client, and you know if if. If it means going on a ski trip with an insurer to Switzerland, you know, we'll do that. It's it's fine. It's a sacrifice we'll make. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow, your life is so difficult and filled with so many challenges. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so we we've been talking a lot about the grand tradition of insurance in, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it's very apt that you be the one to talk about it because insurance as a concept actually uh, was born in London. I think, I think the history goes back to uh, like people racking their brains about how they uh, can send a ship out to like mm-hmm. colonize places like the Philippines. And uh, exactly. they were like, Oh, but sometimes the ships sink. How do we solve this problem? Exactly. Uh, and so I, I believe, I believe, uh, my loose recollection of the history is that mm-hmm. that is how it began. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but if 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 you could like talk talk us through a little bit, and I understand your 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 uh, your knowledge in this regard is a little bit more limited uh, because you did not formally practice insurance for very long in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, what is what is the industry of insurance like in the Philippines? Uh, so on the first hand, you're right about how insurance developed. I mean, it was at a coffee shop called Lloyd's Coffee Shop down the street from where I work. It's now a supermarket, but um, it was it was literally um, insuring ships that were going out to colonize uh, the rest of the world. That's how it started. Um, but you know, I, I didn't practice very much in the Philippines. I've done a little bit of, of digging and, and a bunch of my clients are from the Philippines. And I think the one way that you can describe the Philippine insurance industry is that it is very heavily reliant on local or Asian capacity. So the risks in the Philippines, um, because it's a regional market, um, the technical rating, as they say, which accounts for all of the risks and all of that, is is much lower. So rates, insurance rates in general, are, are much lower. Uh, again, that being said, the two major um, lines of insurance business in the Philippines are motor and property so car insurance and like house insurance or building insurance and that that kind of speaks to a slightly less um slightly uh less sophisticated market which is you know not 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 the value judgment at all because it's still the 46th or 50th largest insurance market in the world depending on what metrics you use so um the thing with the philippine insurance industries is much smaller um, there are fewer players. I believe there's something like 65 registered insurance companies or something like that, or insurance brokers, and another 20 reinsurance companies. So it is quite small. And, you know, because of the size of the economy, um, a lot of the, the premiums are just lower. People can't afford to pay as much. The insurers don't need as much. Um, and, and because they know the territory much better than any foreign insurer, they rate things like typhoon and earthquake much lower because they know the actual risks of it. Um, the, the Philippine indus, uh, insurance industry is definitely growing. So there's now a greater reliance on local reinsurance, which is a, 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 which is a very good health indicator. So reinsurance is essentially when an insurance company, company buys insurance for themselves. Um, so it just goes to show that there's enough uh, insurance capacity and enough technical understanding for that, for them to mostly rely lo- uh, on local, local premiums and local uh, companies. Um, they, you can buy any sorts of insurance in the Philippines, like everywhere else. But again, the most developed are really property and motor, and and just based on you know the sheer number of people with cars, motor would you know accounts for like thirty percent of, of um, the market share of of insurance lines. Um, a statistic that I saw, which kind of says it all, really, is that in 2019, only one percent of all insurance premiums were placed online. So 
whereas abroad you have a lot of options you know you go online you can get house insurance you can get car insurance you can get all of that but only one percent is is um placed online and only 46 percent is via broker so it, it's a much smaller industry it's a much less um technically advanced industry but it is definitely growing and there's definitely specialty there um the problem is for larger risks um the market is just not big enough so a lot of the clients that i see the insurance market in the mm. philippines can't you know they can't um they can't cover it so that's why they come to london that's why they go to the us or, or singapore but it, it's it's a very self-sufficient industry it's been a it's been a you know long-standing industry and it's it's one that continues to grow um there's a in fact um there is now a fund being set up in the philippines as a as a joint venture between private insurance companies and the government to cover certain percentages of natural disaster losses. So the fact that they're developing stuff like that just shows that it's a it's an industry and boom in the Philippines. And especially, you know, with a lot of the infrastructure projects and a lot of the economic growth the last five, 10 years, um, it's it's really played an important key role. Uh, if, if I can if I can just ask though, sure. like uh what what is the kind of risk that insurers in the mm-hmm. Philippines are unable to take on? Because you mentioned it very briefly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not necessarily types of risk, but it's certain sizes of risk in the Philippines. Because I think you know there's the technical capacity to write most things, but it's it's essentially the size of risk. So for example, like uh, one one of my clients, um, they their their limits are so high. Um, they they have so you know. They ensure their property and their business interruption and their their liability, and their values are so high that the local insurance market just cannot um, put that out put out that much money in the event of a loss. So um, because it's a high risk industry, um, insurers are always less likely to put out big lines and cover more of the program. So when when programs become over a certain size. It's just necessary to, to put it el- elsewhere because, again, if, if the local markets covered the entire thing and there's a major loss, you know, that would ruin their profitability for like a year. Um, and that's that, you know, that's mm-hmm. like everywhere else in the world. You know, we, we do reinsurance everywhere. We do like risk alternative risk transfer all over the world. But in the Philippines, um, it's really based on size. It's the market is big, but it's not big enough to absorb mm-hmm. losses of like, you know, Seven hundred million dollars. You know, it just it just can't, just physically impossible for them to do that. What is the relationship of the industry towards regulation? Because like I can I understand that perhaps it, it like the fact that certain kinds of insurance are mandatory probably helps. But like uh, being that you exist in the financial product space, like is regulation on the whole good for the industry or bad for the industry? And oh, I can get into the weeds on it as much as you want. Yeah, sure. I think it's excellent for the industry. I mean. The thing is, it's it's very easy for, especially for like a regular consumer, what would we call an uninformed customer, so a regular consumer, to to fall, you know, to not read what they're doing. You know, I'm sure you run into it as a, as a lawyer all the time. Contracts can be a bit tricky sometimes. So I think regulation is extremely mm-hmm. important. And, and the UK leads in a lot of, you know, the insurance space because that's where it started. And, you know, historically that's, has the most developed market, but a lot of other countries around the world, like the Philippines, are following suit. So, for example, uh, the Insurance Act of 2015 in in the UK changed the way that policies and policy wordings could be stated. So it made it had to make it very clear in intelligible language that for an uninformed customer, they would understand the terms of the policy exactly. Um, in the Philippines, you know, there is no for. Um, there's no insurance ombudsman, but there is the fi- um, the insurance regulation authority. I think that's what they're called, and they have to re- they have to agree. The insurance commission, yeah. In- insurance commission. There you go. They have to um, approve all policy wordings, and I think you know for bigger companies with 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 their whole suite of lawyers and and legal expertise and all of that, they don't really need it. But it's the the regulation insurance really 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 makes a big difference to the to the individual because. It, it can be such a predatory um, predatory industry if you're not careful. Insurers will look after themselves. And like I said, the Philippines, only 46% of insurance was purchased through brokers. So that's a whole 
you know, 54% of the people purchasing insurance not going through a broker who has the expertise and, and knowledge. So these people can be understanding whatever they want to understand. And, they, you know, with the best intentions, they just might be wrong. They might not have the same kind of, um, well, they won't have the same kind of expertise and knowledge of the of the industry and if, whether they're being getting fair rates or getting fair terms. So it's it is it is extremely important. Mm. And in fact, like, you know, there's always going to be pushback, right? Because you'd say like we need these certain requirements, like it has to be clear intelligible language. Um, the in insured must be able to be allowed to cancel the policy within a certain amount of time. So it it it, it insurers don't particularly like it because it does put more admin roadblocks, but at the same time, it just increases the trust in the industry. And what we believe is that you need to be insured because if you're not insured and, and something happens, you get a car accident, what does your family get? Nothing. If you know your house burns down and you're not insured, you lose everything. So it it, it it's a it's a two-way street really where where all parties are trying around the world to get more standardized, more regulated. And um, to be able to not make it difficult for someone who has lost something to claim, because you know the emotional trauma or the the financial trauma of having a loss is already terrible enough. And what insurers want is to keep their clients. Even in the case of a claim, if if the policy wording is vague and there's a lot of arguments and there's a lot of like back and forth it's unlikely that the client is going to stay at the end of the day, right? Like they're going to say, you know, I'm going to go to a different insurer. It's, it, it really is a two-way street and, you know, fraud in particular is very, very heavily cracked down on. Um, we can talk about some of that stuff later, but it's more like the industry is like, like all financial industries, it, it, it thrives with, with regulation because without putting a framework in place that allows everyone to enter from a relatively level playing field, it just becomes the wild west. And you really don't want that. You don't want the insurance of like the 1970s and 1980s where contracts were agreed on napkins and, you know, it was he said versus they said. It was just, it. it's just not good for anyone. So it's, as a broker, regulation is excellent. Obviously, you know, admin does pile up, costs do pile up, but it's, at the end of the day, it's important for the for the people who are purchasing the insurance. Mm. So, well, actually, that's one of the things that you know, you and I probably missed it, like as a, as a like a legally significant event in the Philippines, because mm -hmm. I think we were children when it happened. But uh, when I think it was in the '90s, in the early thousands, where uh, in the Philippines there were these things called pre-needs companies, and they weren't uh, uh, they weren't insurance companies per se, and so they weren't subject to the insurance commission. People would pay something that resembled premiums to these companies, mm -hmm. and then when they would attempt to uh, call these people up and then try to make good on the policy because the uh, the event that was being insured against had occurred, mm -hmm. uh, what wound up happening is a lot of these companies had already closed shop or they made themselves scarce when many people mm -hmm. came at the same time. So that speaks to the depth of the requirement of regulation because once if you don't if you don't have that requirement of regulation, what's going to happen is to your point exactly that it becomes the wild west and you're going to have situations like mm -hmm. what happened with these pre-needs companies in the philippines mm -hmm. all the, all that time ago now yeah. uh, we, we've talked specifically about how the insurance company uh is is like sort of how regulation sort of protects the people from the insurance companies but mm -hmm. there is like another side to that equation right there are sometimes people who try to take advantage of the insurance companies mm -hmm. i remember when we were when we were kids uh with like a, a common joke in the philippines was uh like if, if a warehouse or like a, a store or a mall went up in smoke we'd say oh they did it for the insurance uh the insurance <laughs> money uh so what is uh, what is your opinion of that now that you're in the industry yourself <laughs> You know, it's still something we joke about, if I'm honest. Like, it's still like, oh, somebody burnt it down. Um, it is, I mean, we'll never we'll never put that in writing, <laughs> but we'll joke about that in the office, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, but it is, and, and you know, um, it has happened. Like, the thing, the, the reason why, it, why it's a joke like that, why people say it's because it has happened. Yeah, so, you know, we joke about it a lot, but it is actually a serious problem. Um, although, that being said, uh, according to insurers in the Philippines, it's not a serious problem in the Philippines. That's their official stance. Um, but like similar to the point of, of regulation, fraud and the tackling of fraud has become a real concern in the insurance industry, not just for setting their own fires, but even like exaggerating claims. Like, for example, you tried to make the, the loss sound worse than it actually was to get 
a little bit more money to or because you're worried that the loss wasn't bad enough for to get a payout from. In fact, a lot of regulation in recent years, in addition to making it more fair for the consumer, has also been to address fraud because that's probably one of the major concerns of insurance companies, right? They could lose a lot of money based on fraudulent claims. Um, the way that they've tackled this is that um, one, the insurance the industry has really developed, and especially when you're over a certain size of company, you'll have like you'll have a loss adjuster appointed to you. So a loss adjuster will visit the site, do an investigation, and then come up with conclusions for the insurer. And these ones are are usually like they're ex- they're experts. You know they can normally be able to detect fraud, and if fraud is detected, the whole claim is forfeited. The whole policy is forfeited. So it it's and it it limits your ability to get insurance in the future because if normally a question on a on a proposal form is have you ever been uh, denied insurance or has your insurance ever been cancelled due to fraud, um, and it's the the consequences for that are, are are you know very serious, and if if you do forfeit a claim because of fraud or because of arson, for example. Um, that's it. You have to self-insure for probably the rest, the rest of your your professional or your personal life. It's it's funny. It's 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 a funny thing to joke about. Um, but the insurance industry obviously takes it very, very seriously. And in fact, the UK can be served with jail time. So it's it's they try to discourage it. It still happens, um, and we still laugh about it. But most of the time, it, it's not as common probably as we made out as as we made it out to be as children, you know, we, it wasn't as, it's not as widespread because of the, the ramifications of which are so serious. <laughs> so actually, uh, these, these instances of what, what, what we refer to in the Philippines legally, at least as material misrepresentations, they're quite, yes. they're quite grave as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it, it, it's good though, that the industry kind of takes that into consideration because again, we don't want the fears that played out in our schoolyard jokes, but <laughs> to materialize. Um, so now let, let me let me ask you uh, uh, like a, a more novel question though because mm-hmm. like each field uh, that everyone does like gives them some kind of special ability or superpower mm-hmm. like me for example uh, personally uh, because I am a lawyer and I teach property law and land mm-hmm. registration uh, I'm quite good at dealing with land in the Philippines so mm-hmm. like uh, the bureaucracy that exists in the Philippines insofar as like uh, like um, being like being a general obstacle to be able to like do a transaction is not an obstacle to me because of the way I'm set up and the way that my training was. Mm-hmm. So what is something unique uh, that uh, your background as a working in the insurance industry gives to you by virtue of, uh, you know, you're having this intimate knowledge of insurance and being there in, in the insurance industry? Yeah, it's a good point. Like you said, every industry comes with with some things. But if if you don't mind, I'll just circle back very quickly to to, to fraud. You just mentioned something that go ahead that I I believe is really important and and part of the changes of regulations is that before um, the insureds were always um, were legally ob- obligated to provide every bit of information about their business. Now the requirement is only for them to. Um, not misrepresent, not purposefully misrepresent the facts. And if the insurer does not ask questions to clarify certain things, and a loss happens because of something that was inadvertently left out, it's the um, it's the insurance in, insurer's fault because they know they should have known to ask a question. So the insured only has to provide enough information that they're not mi- purposefully misrepresenting, and enough information to lead a sensible insurer. Um, down a path of questioning that's that's necessary. So it's the the requirements have changed very slightly uh, in that regard to to further protect the client. But but back to your question, um, there there are a few odd things with with the insurance industries. Like so, for example, if you ask someone um, to place, you know, like you're starting up your own business and you ask your friend who works in insurance, you know, can you can you get me an insurance policy? They'll never handle it themselves because we know that. If that transaction was investigated, there may be a conflict of interest because there's a personal connection. You may, they, they may be the face of it, but the person doing the actual insurance will, will most likely always be someone else. Um, you don't, you don't want to get involved in that situation because one, you know, it, it could always, you know, doing business with friends, it could always get a little bit ugly. But also, it's mainly if if you've left something out and you've been careless or whatever, you 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 you'll get 
charged with an you know errors in a mission you'll get charged with uh, potentially um, conflicts of interest it's more probably more relevant here than in the philippines but uh, another thing is that we always know uh, when we're getting scammed because one thing that we always do is that we can go into our like systems and look at, at policies. So for example, when you buy your car insurance online and you see like, wow, you know, this is how much they're charging me. We can go into our system and say, oh, this is kind of the average, um, this is the average motor, what the average motor policy pays. Okay, that one's, that one's not good. That one's not good. That one's not good. Um, it's, we can just double check. We can see what the standard like deductibles and covers and exclusions are and just compare it to what we see online. So that's been very helpful when I've gotten like, you know, everything from my uh, house insurance to, to like ring insurance or, or tech insurance, whatever. Um, we're always slightly informed and we always know when we're, when we're not being scammed is a strong word, but we know when we're not getting a good deal. You know, we know we're not, we, we know that it's not fair. Um, and uh, the last thing is that we're always being asked about stuff like, oh, could I, like your question, could I set fire to my house and get to get a payout or, oh, um, you know, what if, what if this happens or uh, what if I was driving and I did this and I'm like, you've really thought about this way too much. You should like back down and just not, not act any, not act suspicious anymore. It's, it's. Unfortunately, insurance doesn't have very many day-to-day -day applications, except for like checking to see whether or not you're getting a good deal. And oh, a last one, insurance is, is very incestuous and very like family related. 90% of people in insurance got through, got in it through family or friends. So if anyone asks you if, if you know if they can get into the industry, the answer is almost always yes. And you could get almost anyone into the industry. <laughs> I can I can tell after this podcast, a lot of your friends are going to be especially friendly to you after. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Uh, and <laughs> I I always like to uh, juxtapose uh, what you know this thing that we're talking about insurance because it's it's really hard I think for like the the ordinary person to be able to uh, understand exactly what insurance is like it, given that there are so many things that are like it, right? Yes. And so I'm going to ask you about. Um, what is your opinion of the derivative industry that exists in the U.S.? Like, because like the derivatives uh, that you know usually they're created by investment banks or mm -hmm. like other similar kinds of financial institutions. They they also insure against risk in a general sense, mm -hmm. uh, but they are not formally insurers. So yeah. yeah, what's your take on that that whole industry? So it's you know obviously like um, hedging your risk and and protecting yourself from risk is something that everyone else everyone should do. You know whether that's through savings, insurance, or, or investments, or, or whatever. Um, I think with the derivative industry, you know, I'm not I'm not an expert at it, but as far as what I know, um, in general, there are kind of like two drivers for it. So the first one is speculation, so that's more driven by profit. But the other one is kind of where you um, where you use another asset to kind of hedge your risk. Um, as far as I understand it, there there may be a winner and a loser in that case because you know. An example that I that I've come across is if you're a wheat producer and a cereal manufacturer, they kind of hedge and agree a certain price, and if it drops or it goes up, um, they'll still be paying a certain price, which you know can be beneficial for one and 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 not beneficial for the other. So yes, while I believe that like finding alternative ways to to manage your risk and to manage your savings is is great, it's you know always always recommended. I think insurance acts very slightly differently. Because you know the reason that a lot of people think that insurance um, is a scam is because a lot of people put in money in insurance and never get anything out of it. But I think at the end of the day, you know, subject to policy conditions and whatever, when there's a loss, you will be paid out for it if you have insurance. You know, subject to again, subject to certain requirements, you will be paid out. And I think that certainty that it's not going to be driven by anything else other than the fact that you've had a loss. Is provides a, a lot of um, a lot of comfort. It can provide a lot of comfort and a lot of you know a lot of security for you. It's not you know I, I don't know much about the life insurance industry, but even even from from the non-life industry, when you have something that you don't want to lose, you're going to do whatever you can to to protect it. And I think insurance does that very well in the fact that it's quite unambiguous. Um, it's quite I wouldn't say stable, but I would say it's quite um, consistent. It's predictable. Yeah. It's very predictable. And sure, you know, sometimes you pay out more money than, than you'd like. But at, at the end of the day, it's it's what the, the best way to think about it is if you had a total loss, right? Like if, if the financial market 
collapses, you lose a lot of your your money in investments or or, or all of that. But in insurance, if you if you lose your asset, there's no replacing it um, by yourself. Like you can, you know, you have to spend a lot of money to to get back in that same position. Insurance, the purpose of insurance is to put someone back in the exact same position as they were before the loss. So I think it's more it's more of a safety net as compared to derivatives, I would say. It's more of like a worst case scenario kind of thing. Not that it only applies for worst case scenarios, but it's it's really a, it's really a, a, a key fallback, especially for smaller businesses, because um, you, you can think of like large companies who have, you know, inve- large investments on the side who can, you know, if, if there's an issue, they can recover or they can move their manufacturing capacity somewhere else or move their offices. But for a small company in particular, they don't have that kind of safety net, you know, unless they're run by like some of the richest people in the world. If something goes wrong, 80% of them don't reopen. So mm. it's 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 really that safety net for when the worst happens, I think. And and because it's not like it's not sexy like a derivative is, for example, people don't think of it in the same way. But hedging your risk like that means that you'll never be out of pocket in the long run because every company will have a loss. You know, there'll be a theft, there'll be stock breaking or or, or a fire or something. And I think that just the certainty and the, the consistency that insurance provides is is much more manageable to the less, you know, less engaged and less um, educated in the financial markets, I think. Um, again, I, I'm not the expert on derivatives, but that's that's the way that I understand it. Well, uh, that, that's it. like the way that I say it, like the reason why I have to ask the question is that really we're in this kind of speculative bubble, like asset prices are higher than they've ever been. Yeah. And like... Uh, you know, it's just strange that I I see a, an, an industry like insurance, which is like he- incredibly heavily regulated. Uh, like as a quick aside, I think I had the highest insurance law grade in my law school. I, I was able to beat out even the valedictorian. Just just Excellent. like a tiny <laughs> humble, just a small humble brag. Um, <laughs> Uh, so like, and I really like like the the laws around insurance make sense. And then I see in contrast to that, like uh, uh, you know derivatives. Like, have you? I, I don't know if, if maybe some people will be familiar with the app called Robinhood that allows oh, course, like every yeah. everyday people to just buy derivatives. And I'm like, these are incredibly complex financial products, and you're just giving it to like Joe Schmo, whoever, and like you expect them to be able to do something with that. And I I just don't understand it, right? And like the fact that also functionally, at least in comparison to the other financial products that do exist, there is no regulation at all, mm-hmm. right? It seems it seems completely absurd, right? But um, yeah. I mean, the UK, the UK is limiting um, the trading of derivatives, um, particularly in, you know, the, the crypto space in particular, because most people lose money from it. I think to, to really understand, you need to put in a lot of time and effort um, to, to really understand what you're doing and to give yourself, you know, security that you know, you're not going to just lose all your money. And I think that's where it's very different from insurance. Insurance, if you know how to read a contract, you can kind of understand exactly what you're getting, I think. I think that's that's a very important distinction. Obviously, you know, some bits are a bit more technical, but it's not going to be as complicated as, as derivative trading, which, like you said, anyone can do unregulated. Um, <laughs> yeah, when you put it that way, that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what, like, so, that, like, what is the strangest thing that you've ever seen someone insure? Like, uh, just just like a you know little anecdote. So the strangest thing I've seen someone insure, I mean, the UK market is quite mature. So in in the sense that a lot of like people know exactly what what needs to be insured. But one of the odd, most odd things was um, somebody was going to, trying to get insurance for like six months. For their furniture because they had gotten a new puppy and because both people in the relationship went to work they would not be able to watch the puppy all day so they wanted yeah. insurance cover for when they were not at home to stop in case their puppy destroyed their furniture and i found that so odd and we could not place it because like you know it, although insurance is, is, is risk transfer it's not gonna they're not gonna transfer anything i mean you're not at home with a little with a little puppy like you know there is going to be a lot you know the puppy's going to choose something right so <laughs> we spent an entire friday in my old team a team of like 50 people trying to find out like because it was from an important client like it was his personal insurances and we just could not for the life of us place it we just got them like regular pet cover but it was like the, the person who got the email just started looking and started laughing at the screen, like, what's happening? It's like, somebody wants to cover their puppy to stop them from chewing everything in their house. I'm like, that's, that's, yeah, that was, that was one of the odd ones. Yeah, that was a, that was a really funny one, actually, because 
um, again, a team of 50 people put their minds to it and couldn't, couldn't get like, <laughs> it's just so, so absurd. Um, so it, it's funny, you know, like, because uh, you hear those those stories of like celebrities insuring like, uh, I think like some celebrities insure their breasts or something, because like, that's apparently how they make most of their money. And I'm just yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah, Be- Beyonce's legs are insured as far as I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, there's not enough money in the world. That's not, you know, it's too valuable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't put a, a price tag on Beyonce. <laughs> but but ser- seriously though, the the reason that that you can actually do stuff like that is because essentially, even though they're attached to their bodies, they are assets, and they stand to lose. Like for example, if Beyonce is about to go on tour and she breaks a leg, like she can't do her dancing. Like how's you know. How's that going to affect the money they make on tour? So, well, it is it is ridiculous. There there is a reason that they do that, but it just kind of um, further accentuates the difference between celebrities and us normal people. I think because that's just if if I if I try to insure my legs to allow me to continue going to work, I would just be left out the building, to be honest. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, I think it speaks to like you know the, the incredible pervasiveness of like capitalism, also like where exactly. like every every aspect of you can be valued, and every aspect <laughs> of you it can potentially make money, and so like this is just the logical conclusion of like mm-hmm. a thought process that we all partake in, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Now, considering that you operate at a considerable distance to the Philippines, because uh, well, generally the podcast is really about people who find success. Mm-hmm. In the Philippines, with the Philippines, or you know, mm-hmm. in some way, their personal or professional journey intersects with the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I always have to ask these kinds of questions. Sure. What is the what is the Philippines now for you, considering that you're you know you're you're set up to continue to live your life in the UK? So I mean, it, it's a complicated question because, like I mentioned earlier briefly, I never intended to leave the Philippines. My plan was always to. Um, you know, grow my career there, settle, settle and and then have my life there. Um, and in fact, I almost did come back. It was it was it was a difficult conversation to have with my dad um, from my side. I mean, you know, it turns out that he was more than happy for me to to, as he said, spread my wings abroad and not come home. Um, but it it was it was a very difficult question because, you know, I I thought I I thought kind of it as a safety net in that regard because like I knew that no matter what I did you know, very, uh, in, in, in a very privileged way that I could always just fall back into my dad's company and, and just, you know, be treated well. It, it's kind of like a, in, in my mind, it was kind of like a cop-out, right? It was, it was stopping me from doing, from actually like trying things because I thought like, ah, you know, there's always that in the background. Um, now, you know, I still, I still think of it as home and, and no place compares. And I think what I want to do personally is in my professional life to continue, um, accentuating that relationship with the Philippines. Like, for example, my first primary client, large primary client, which I'm the head broker on, is from the Philippines. I'd like to do so much more um, with with local insurers, with local companies, and and try to, like, you know, provide a good representation of the Philippines to the insurance market. Because you mentioned the Philippines to any insurer, and they're like, oh, what about the kidnappings in Mindanao? Or, oh, what about the typhoons and the earthquakes? And I'm like... Listen, this, that's not that's not the country. That's a, sure it happens, and sure it's a small portion of it. Um, but I, I would really like to, you know, become an expert in the region because I think you know a lot of the Philippine risks would be well served to explore the international insurance market. You know, both in terms of of capacity and in terms of risk engineering, which, you know, is still at this point more internationally recognized it's more recognized when you when you use an international third party or or when you um you know conduct surveys with an international expert i i I want to focus more on that area so i've i've you know made it very clear work that i want all philippine risks to come to me as far as i can you know get my hands on them it's Mm. it's a very weird thing because you know um being away from home is, is always a challenge. I think every single day, there's always something that makes you think like, you know what, it would have been like this, in the, it would have been like this at home. Um, and although the probably missing it isn't as, um, isn't as painful, it's always like this dull ache. And that's the way my mom always talked about it because she, she left France and has lived in the Philippines for like 30 years now. So she's always that, it's, a, it's that dull ache in the background. It, it kind of informs everything you do. And while I don't, see myself settling there in the future 
I'm open to it. Who knows? Work may take me there. Um, but I, I do want to focus on, on on risks in Southeast Asia in particular, because I think there are not enough people in the international insurance market who understand that region of the world as well as someone who's from there. So I, I, I do want to focus on that. It's it's always sad to say that, you know, I probably won't end up back in the Philippines and that my plans are, are elsewhere. But it is um, there, there's a lot of opportunity there, I think. To, to operate in that space from 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 London, so I think that is that is really what I've been targeting over the last year and a half, and will continue to to aim for. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, like since okay, you you mentioned that the Philippines probably won't be part of your future plans, mm-hmm. but um, if you could like cap it down to like let's say the five years, what will you be doing professionally in five years then? So um, I'm I'm in the process of getting my uh, diploma from the Chartered Insurance Institute. So I have one more module which I hope to co- complete by the first quarter of next year. So that that'll give me like a. A, a nice professional qualification, which, you know, it's going to be very helpful, whatever I decide to do. Um, I'm also considering an MBA because, you know, in, in the current corporate world, it's just such an, a, a useful tool, right? It's it's a it's quite generalist, I can imagine, but, you know, it's a very useful tool. It helps you hear the, the way that you think. And because I'm, I'm, I'm very keen on getting a lot of the business from the Philippines that comes into the insurance industry. I I, I do want to have as many professional qualifications under my belt. Um, And so in five years, you know, I I see myself moving out of the current space that I'm in, which is the mining and heavy industry. Because in addition to like, you know, environmental and ethical concerns, I, I, I do find that the opportunity is really in Southeast Asia. So there's a lot that can be done with business in Southeast Asia. And, and and not only that, it's also going to be a challenge because insurance rates, while rising, are still much lower than the rest of the world. So it, it is not only going to be a personal project, but also a professional challenge, which which I, you know, I'm very keen on. As as I've said, I, I like I've come to to really enjoy facing, you know, difficult situations. And and that's that's one of it. So in five years, I think, you know, I, I really like where I'm where I'm working right now. I think it's a Growing company, I think I'll, I'll still probably be here, but I, I'll, I'll probably negotiate the move to the, like the Asia Pacific team, if possible, or 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 like an international retail team with you know focus on on Asia because it's it's an underserved it's an underserved and underrepresented part of the world in the in the London market. So I think that is um that's really the goal. I, I want to continue in this small team I have because the the exposure is excellent. You know, um it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of um. I'm doing much more than I, I would have thought I was, but yeah, focus on on Southeast Asia, potentially an MBA and uh, mm-hmm. Filipino representation. Well, white, uh, white Filipino representation. White Filipino representation. Because uh, it, 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 it's actually really interesting, though, that you, you highlight like this this general optimism for the Philippines, even though you decided to, to leave, right? Because, like, you, you know, like there is that weird, usually when people leave the Philippines, it's because they don't. They don't see any opportunity for themselves, and here you actually had incredible opportunity for yourself. Nonetheless, left, but still make a lot of your plans in the future about the Philippines, which is which is an interesting thing, and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a uh, paradox, let's say, with who you are. Uh, so just to add like a little bit of color to that discussion, like people always ask me about why I'm so optimistic about the Philippines, why I say I love the Philippines unabashedly, uh, even despite uh, abundant newspaper clippings to the contrary, right? Uh, one, one of the things I always say is that economically, we're set up to be one of the most uh, economically influential countries in the future. You know, we have the youngest population outside of Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I think I think these these things will set us up for growth. And I think uh, if I can just say as an aside, your choice to make your life about the Philippines, despite being in London, will probably pay off in a very big way in in, in the medium term. I think. Yeah, thank you. I mean, like, I look, I I, I do read all the news. I I'm I keep very abreast of what's going on. And and, and like you know, as a Filipino, um, you know, just trying trying not to be uh, politically inflammatory. I just find that it's it, it's quite disheartening to read a lot of what's coming out of it and you know that is the reputation that the philippines has that's why nobody wants to do anything with it abroad um you know i have my my reservations about the, the whole situation i it, it's heartbreaking to see from the outside and i also kind of feel lucky that i'm i'm somewhere where i don't have to struggle with a lot of that in the day-to-day like being perfectly honest but i think I, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think that also, like I said, it's very underrepresented. And the fact is that as risks get bigger and as the Philippines tries to grow, they'll they'll lend they'll lean more heavily on on a, on on a lot of 
larger industries, larger projects. And, you know, God forbid there's a massive earthquake or a massive typhoon and the local insurance market can't can't cope anymore. Rates will have to go up. So they'll come up to London. I, I just think that because of the negative press, because of the relative, you know, relative in, in quotation marks, on importance of the of the country in the global scheme of things, people just kind of tend to neglect it. And you know, there's also the the whole built-in thing. I have a you know a 20 plus year long-standing relationship with uh, a major broker in the Philippines. So when they're looking for someone, I want to be the one, the person that when they're looking for someone abroad to help them, I'll, I'll, I want to be that guy. And you know, while I came here to set out on my own path, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I appreciate the privilege that I have, but I, I'm not gonna just kind of put aside the benefits that I could get from that. Um, you know, despite not not living there, not live, having a higher quality of, of, of life, I, I'm not going to put away the, all of the benefits. I'm going to use that. I'm going to make sure that I became, become irreplaceable for whatever company I decide to work for because I'm the expert. You know, that's 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 really what I want. And I think the country, a country like the Philippines deserves that because it's just so underserved. And even talking to insurers about current Filipino risks, they're so uninformed. So... <laughs> Yeah, I had to explain to them how like Surigao and where, you know, all of the, how how dif- different Surigao was from the rest of Mindanao because they th- all they think about is kidnappings and Mani Pacquiao. And so it's just, <laughs> it's always like, oh, you're from the Philippines? What do you think of Mani Pacquiao? You know, it's it's a very uneducated view, which I don't blame them for. The Philippines hasn't contributed too much to the world, um, you know, in the grand, in the grand Western-centric view of things. But I I think, you know, there aren't many Filipino insurance professionals in London, and it's a it's a very underserved country that is looking for international uh, support. So I think the opportunity is massive. It fulfills my you know sense of national national duty. It helps me you know it gives me an anchor that even though I'm not there, I can still kind of be in the Philippines and you know get get some cheeky business trips to the Philippines if I can. You know, it's it's a it's a whole <laughs> host of things. So yeah, it, it's a tough decision to to live to live here and not not be at home, but it is also, I think, a huge opportunity for anyone who who wants to capitalize on it. Yeah. Uh, just 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 one last thing before we sure. cut the podcast. I just want to highlight how you say that you don't have to deal with it because you're in London. So does that does that mean that you like the job that Boris Johnson is doing in the UK? Uh, you know, uh, you know what? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll put it delicately and I'll just say no. Um, <laughs> I I have many issues with a lot of the politics around the world in general. Um, lo- like everyone, <laughs> I can imagine I would ju- I I would be slightly more upset if I was in the Philippines, because that's where I'm from. But because I'm here, some of it, I'm just like, oh, that's ridiculous. And, and kind of like laugh it off because it's just ridiculous. Um, I, I am not a, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of him. I think he is a joke, if I'm honest. Um, it's uh, the UK is probably not the best place to live politically right now either. So it's not it's not a, it's not like a green fields and, and rainbows and butterflies. It's it's uh, it's complicated. It's very complicated. And I'm actually I'm lucky I look the way I do because th- there's a lot of racism. So you know I'm not I'm I am quite lucky in that regard. But it's just it's a joke really. <laughs> okay, and uh, w- with that, Morgan, uh, thank you for coming on my podcast. It was a pleasure to have you, and thank you for sharing all your wealth of insights. Yeah. Thank you, Rami. It was, it was really nice to speak to you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely uh, keep in touch. It's it's been it's been good to, to have a chat. <laughs>